Good day. I'm Mark Sylvester, your host for this Hacking the Red Circle conversation, where we talk to people in the TEDx world you'll want to know better. The show is designed to learn what it takes to produce, organize, promote, and create a world-class event. If you're an experienced organizer, you'll get some great tips. Veteran organizers share lessons they've learned so that first-timers can avoid common missteps. There are hundreds of amazing people in the TEDx universe, and we talk to a lot of them. If this is your first time to the show, welcome. We produce Hacking the Red Circle every week. You'll want to subscribe so you don't miss any upcoming episodes. Now, on with the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. I am still in America this week. Uh, I'm... I'm talking to a longtime Tedster who currently is in San Diego. She's going to tell us her story and kind of blow us away. I'd like you to meet Kara DeFrias. Um, Kara, welcome to the show. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me, Mark. Right. I think you said before you went on air that you've listened to 40 of the shows. So yay. Thank you. Yes. It's such good content you're putting out in the world and it's so needed. Oh, thank you so much. I, uh, you know, I was going to do like video tutorials because I, I'm, I'm all about the production of the show and organizing and doing, if you've heard, so you know my rap already. And, um, TEDx wasn't thrilled that I would be doing training videos. Um, they felt like that kind of the training is really up to them. Like, right. Cause if I train people to say, this is how you do X. X may change, right? So um, it was uh, suggested that, you know, if I really dig into the case studies of organizers, like there's like, that's the, your truth, right? Your, the, here's the best practices as we, as we did them. And so the show pivoted <laughs> before I went down that video path. And I'm so thrilled because uh, this is actually much, much better show because um, I get to talk to people and make all these new friends and uh so welcome. So t- what was your um what was your first experience with Ted? When did you start? Oh gosh, I started watching the videos in the late 2000s like most people and living in San Diego, somebody on Twitter mentioned that we were getting a TEDx in San Diego. Oh. And I went online and I looked at the website and I zeroed in on the volunteer button. So I, I filled out the volunteer button and I said, I don't care. I'll be your janitor, whatever you need. <laughs> and I said, by the way, if you think it's helpful, I've also worked on the Oscars and the Emmys and the Super Bowl halftime show. So whatever you need me to do. And about five minutes later, I got a call from the TEDx San Diego organizer, Jack Abbott, saying, we need a director. Would you direct our show? And that's how I got involved with with TEDx. So you went from zero to top of the food chain right off the bat. <laughs> yes. Oh, my. And I joined the show about, oh, gosh, I joined the show in late August. And the first TEDx San Diego was November 10th of 2010. So you were November 10th of 2010 and ours was November 11th. We were 11, 11, 11, and then we did 10, 10, 10. So that's how we did. But my listener right now is screaming into their phone. You know why? Because you went so quickly and they want to hear Oscars, Emmys, Super Bowl halftime show. What? (laughs) So what's your background that got you into doing that? 
I started out in college, I was an English and theater major. So I love the line in Avenue Q where they say, what can you do with a BA in English? Because the answer is quite a lot. Um, you know, I, I've been fortunate in my career to do a lot of varied things uh, in the design world, in the theater world, and uh, in the entertainment world and sports worlds as well. So I, they all kind of contributed to where I am today and really uh, led to an interesting path that led me to working with TEDx for almost seven years now. Now, we were, um, you came on our radar months and months ago, but you couldn't come on the show because you were otherwise occupied. Tell the listener what you were doing. Uh, yes, up until January 20th of this year, I was director of experience design for Vice President Biden at the White House. So what is a director of experience design for the Vice President of the United States do? What was your what was the like the most what was the most fun thing you got to do? You know, the, 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 the best part of the job, Mark, was it was an honor every day to walk into the White House I and bet. be the person who is the voice of the people on the Cancer Moonshot Project. So on the which project, sorry? The can the Cancer Moonshot Project. Got it. So last year at the State of the Union, President Obama issued a call to action that we would be the country that cures cancer. And he turned around to Vice President Biden and put him in charge of it. So there was a small team of nine of us who were assembled quite quickly, because as you can imagine, we had a definite end date of January of this year. Yep. And we quickly pivoted from the original charter, which had been to be the country that cures cancer, because it's a quite ambitious goal. So sure. we, quickly, we quickly pivoted to let's make 10 years worth of advances in the next five. So as director of experience design, I headed up the uh, the UX side of things. So we did a discovery sprint where we went across the country talking to 200 doctors and patients and caregivers and sidekicks, technology groups, advocacy groups. And we wanted to try to get um, get to the point where we could understand how do we get more cancer patients into cancer clinical trials? Because mm, right now, only mm. four to six percent of adults enroll in trials and, and to get to 10 years worth of advances in the next five you know, we need more people to consider trials. So a lot of the work I did was research. I did a lot of the digital strategy for the project. And like I said, it was just, it was the greatest honor of my life. So apologies that I couldn't take your call. <laughs> no, you were busy. Um, so let now, so let's go back. Cause I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to circle back on this. You did your first TEDx in 2010, but that wasn't your last TEDx. No, no, I was on Jack Abbott's team for that one. Uh, what happened was the day after the inaugural TEDx San Diego, I was so hyped up and so <laughs> full of energy about this creative, beautiful experience we had right, created right. for people in San Diego that I said, I have to bring this to my company. I have to bring this to Intuit oh. where I worked on TurboTax. So I applied and I got a license for TEDx Intuit as one of the first corporate events. Uh, Pfizer was before us. And Price Waterhouse Cooper, um, and I stayed on TEDx San Diego for two years as digital strategist. And a little fun fact there is the first year I did the social media for the show, we hit 1.5 million impressions on show day. What? So I put together, yeah, so I put together this big lessons learned doc and how we got to that milestone, and I shared it out. Ted featured it on their blog. I'm very big in the community of will you send us a link? Back. Will you send us a link, please? Yeah. We can put it in the show notes. Yeah, so, 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 so the giving back part, uh, I've mentioned it a lot on the show that what's interesting about being a part of this organization is that we are not competitive 
at all. In fact, it's probably the most collaborative group of people I've ever worked with. And the spirit of sharing with one another is, um, I wouldn't say we overshare, but I think that the concept of, hey, take what you like, take the best parts, move on. And, you know, in that spirit, we just put together our uh, speaker guide for our, our show. And we take, took eight of them. I took the eight best ones I could find and gave them to the team and said, you know, guess what? You can t- mix and match and take what you want. And then we'll publish what you did, what we did. And we'll put that back out into the library. So I, I love that piece. So you had 1.5 million impressions on show day. So then you said, okay, I love this. I'm going to go do this inside the company. And we have talked with, um, Two, fo- two folks from TEDx, J and J. And, and I was really interested in what's the difference for you between the, uh, uh external public event, which we most do, and, and then the, the internal facing one. What's the biggest challenge yeah. of doing that? The, the biggest difference is the talks from internal events can't go online. So we can't publish any of our, uh, our talks online. That's just a TED rule. Yes. Um, What's different about like um, our event, though, is that I didn't have any internal speakers. Uh, I'm a big believer on bringing the outside in. So I ended up in I was at TEDx. I did TEDx into it from 2010 to 2015. Um, and 2015 is because that's when I went back to government. Um, but in that time, my executive produced six events. So three main stages and three salons. And my charter was always to bring the outside in and inspire employees to think differently about their lives, both professionally and personally. So by bringing in people like Marty Cooper, who invented the cell phone, and Jake Wood from Team Rubicon, who is just an amazing human and the work he does with vets and helping them reintegrate into society and using their training for good is is just breathtaking. And And hearing those stories, you know, we have so many good outcomes about employees who listened to these stories on stage and went back and did things differently mm, at work. Mm. So there's a, there's a, a special beauty to internal and corporate licenses. So when you think about all the things that we do for a, a public facing event, you know, we're, we're thinking about the great venue and lighting and staging and, and recording, which you didn't have to worry about, but all of the, well, you were perfect uh, the experience design, the user experience. How did you think about the user experience? Because in a big company, we go to meetings, we go to salesmen's, we go to all hands, we get all this kind of mandatory meeting stuff. And then all of a sudden there's a TED event. How did, how did you make it different? Well, first thing we absolutely did have to worry about lighting and video because we recorded all of our events and put them on our internal intranet. Okay. So, so you that employees can have could watch them. Got it. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I still had to go get funding. I still had to go to the senior vice president of TurboTax and, create a pitch deck and explain why this would be a great thing for employees. And I very strategically lined it up to the company's core values and the leadership pillars. Um, And and in my first one, the sessions lined up with the titles of our leadership pillars. So the employees could tie it directly back to the work they do. Got it. So, so strategically that was really good for fundraising, right? I mean, you, you paid attention to that, right? And, and Mm -hmm. do you mind, uh, can you tell me kind of roughly what, uh, what kind of budget it takes and did, were you limited to the first one of only a hundred people? Does that, uh, that constraint fits in? Yeah. Even for a corporate event, you still have to go to either big Ted or Ted active or global 
to surpass that 100. And even though I had been working in entertainment and production for probably a decade at that point, I still value that they want you to get your feet wet and then see what a a good production looks like in their eyes in order for you to pass that 100 person threshold. So we spent probably about a quarter of what our TEDx San Diego budget was on TEDx Intuit. Um, I was very lean. I started off with just 16 people on the team. Um, and you know, what I, what I really enjoyed about the, in, the internal event as well was, you know, I created verticals and people had teams under them. So we had talent relations, production, experience design right. and communications. And we had somebody who in her day job was a writer, but TEDx into it gave her the opportunity to take on a leadership role that she otherwise oh. wouldn't have been able to take on. And now she's gone on. She's now the senior director of digital communications for employees at Visa. So to be a small part huh of her growth was such a cool thing. And to see her grow over the years as our communications manager and then go on to do great things was such a joy. What would you say you, now you left to go back to government. Is there still a TEDx Intuit? And are, is that still going? Did you leave a legacy there? That we, we tried to pass it on when I went, but I'm the kind of personality you know, there's a line in Wicked where Alphabet says, I don't cause commotions, I am one. Um, <laughs> I'm kind of a tour de force, I guess you would say. So, you know, without that that passion and that push, um, it didn't. It wasn't able to live on. And, and, you know, I think succession planning is something we see as a, a challenge at a lot of TEDx events. You know, the like Jack did it great when he passed on TEDx San Diego when he left. And, and some other right. events do it well, but, I, but it's, it's one of those big dragons we face. Yeah, it, 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 talk about that for a second because you're. I'm gonna. Well, Scoot, you know the show very well, so you know I'm gonna talk about dragons. Um, talk about succession planning. What? Because I'm. I've rebooted my whole organization this year. You know, we've been doing it for a while, but as a result of doing this show, I've learned so many. I mean, I've just had these fantastic conversations, and just rethought everything. But I'm also knowing that I probably will be leader for three to five years, but I'm planning now what it's going to be like when I leave. And I'm so I'm, and I know succession planning's a challenge. What, what would you have done knowing that now, what do you think you might've done different to think about that? That's a good question. I had the unique situation where I moved from the San Diego office to the Mountain View office up in the Bay area Yeah. Um, for my last year and a half at Intuit. So I think the fact it was coupled with the fact of me moving that mm. I didn't have the same team on the ground that I did down here in San Diego. Um, so I, I think, you know, perhaps with hindsight being 2020, if I had started building the team down here sooner, but I just think it was one of those weird timing things where I, I, I don't know that I could have planned it better from a succession standpoint. Right. What other challenges do you think there are in doing in an internal event? Because I'm, I'm not sure how many people are listening or thinking about doing an internal event or trying to do one at, at their company? What, are, what challenges are there if they were thinking that besides kind of the obvious ones? What's the ones you, you wouldn't expect? Yeah, you know, I think with an internal event, a lot of the rules around them make it a challenge. I think if you can, as long as you can get buy-in at your company, you can get a champion, somebody who believes in yeah. your ability to do what you say you're going to do, you've got that covered. I think my biggest heartbreak was we had so many good ideas worth spreading on stage that should have gone beyond our stage. And every year it broke my heart when I had to tell the speakers, you know, just like a real TEDx, you know, 
we cannot pay you, but unlike an external facing one where you'll get your video to put online yes. and put on your website, sure. share with your friends, that that every year for five years, six years, Mark, my heart broke every time I had to have yeah. that conversation. How, okay, but you did. And what, you know, if you think of it, what was it that, you know, because you, you had the conversation, they said yes, in spite of that. So what do you think was the thing that tipped it? Because I know and we're asking these people to put in well over 100 hours of work on a talk. Oh, yeah. Uh, well over oh, yeah. that. And the talk of their life. And it could, in many cases, it's the thing that's actually is an inflection point in their life, right? They go on and, and they're going to take that idea out to the world. So what was the convincing factor? Just your force of nature, as you've already um, said? Obviously, my fantastic <laughs> smile and my winning personality. Uh, no, again, it was about being strategic, right? So I said, you are going to be live streamed to 8,000 employees. We are tying mm. you into our learning and development plan, into our comms plan. You will be seen by a global audience. So I pulled in all the reasons that I knew would resonate with them um, because I'm very picky. You know, it was funny. I, I was reaching out to a couple of teammates, former teammates this morning, because I know you always ask, you know, what's your superpower? And we'll get into that later, but I'm not good at tapping my own superpower. But, you know, I knew which speakers would resonate mm, with Intuit mm. employees. And I also was really hard on the speakers. Like I, if they came and, the, and you know, if they said, Oh, this is a talk I'm gonna give because I've given it everywhere else. Like they're not allowed to do that, right? right. Like we would dig tell a story in you've it. never told, or tell it in a way that I think if you told it this way, right, would resonate more. And 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 you know, I joke it's my smile, my winning personality, but it's talking to them in their currency about what's important to them. Mm-hmm. And then and you know, I will say in six years of doing it, I've never had somebody tell me no. And but every time it was a relief that they said yes. <laughs> I, I I don't see anybody telling you no. Um, I I I want to now I want to circle back because I, I we we've got this obvious uh, a deep experience in events and doing you know the myriad of things that have to be done for that. What of that background do you think made you so successful working in the White House? Oh, interesting. I'm going to answer why it made me successful as a TEDx organizer and director and producer first, and then we'll go to the White House. It's okay. 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 I think what what the turning point for TEDx Annual 2010 was, I'm sitting there one day and I'm, I'm building the show Rundown. Um, and a, a little fun fact about that, um, the Rundown that is in the TEDx Bible and that every TEDx uses, it's yes. an Excel spreadsheet that when you plug in, you know, the, the timing, it all auto-calculates. I created that for TEDx San Diego 2010. Oh my gosh. Shared it out. I shared it out with the Google group and all of a sudden it became this thing where everyone's like, well, we need it. Can I have a copy? And uh, it was funny. I was at TED a couple of years ago and, and I ran into a new organizer I hadn't met and they said, oh, did you, did you know there's this really cool tool we can use? It's an Excel spreadsheet. <laughs> and I'm laughing and they're like, why are you laughing at me? I'm like, I created that. <laughs> Back in the day. Uh, it's all I, about sharing, right? I, it's, it's about sharing. So it's the, the point is what made me good as a producer and an organizer was there was a moment in 2010, because that was still like back in the early days. I, yeah, actually, yeah. I think we were one of the first hundred events. Yeah. And I looked at Jack and I said, Jack, we've got to stop calling this an event. The way you plan an event makes it sound like we're having a meeting. We are not having a meeting. We are putting on a show. And that small pivot of treating it like the Oscars, treating it like the Emmys, treating it like this world-class production changed the mindset. 
for everybody involved. And so I've, I've always treated these like a show and I've always come in it with the rigor of doing a world-class production. And that resonates into everything, into experience design, into talent relations, into the production, into the communications. And so that kind of mindset, you know, to answer your question, when I get to the white house, I don't tackle anything half-assed. Oh, am I allowed to curse on your show? Absolutely. You can say that again. <laughs> say that word again. No, but yeah, so I don't do anything half-assed. And, and you know, that that way, that how of how I tackle my work has served me well throughout my career. I, I, I love that. And I, I want to comment a bit on the stop calling this an event. We're putting on a show. I It hit me 20 shows into this podcast that I needed to stop thinking about TEDx Santa Barbara as an event that needed an organization and more that it was an organization that produced an event. And now it's an organization that produces a show, which goes into my consulting because I help people do, you know, set up TEDx's as well. And I, I try to explain to them the gravity of it that you're building a television studio for one day and you'll have 16 episodes of your show and every, you need everything. Like you said, talent relations and you need a green room. And I, mean, I said to one guy, I said, well, what are we gonna do for a green room? He goes, what's that? And I said, okay, well, let's start there. Uh, you know, it's all of those things that you need to do. You imagine you think, gosh, do we need someone to warm up the audience? Yes. Do we need this? Yes. Like all the things you would think are happening on any television show you can imagine. Yep, you probably need them. Well, and I would I would say too though, as veteran organizers and as a mature org, it's also a watch point for us to say things like that so definitively because those things are privilege, right? Because we have the means here in the states, or if you're in a more affluent area, and I really uh. want your listeners to know that whether you're doing this, you know in Symphony Hall downtown San Diego or in the Opera House in Sydney or a tent in like a rural continent in the right. outback of Australia. Right. right. It's it, yes, you want to strive to put on something memorable and meaningful and engaging for your attendees, but don't listen to the show and think, "Oh my god, if I don't have three cameras, I'm a failure." Like if you have created an experience that holistically end to end, you've thought through the experience for your audience, your crew members and your speakers, and everybody walks out of there delighted and inspired, then you have created an incredible TEDx event. These mm. other bells and whistles that we do in more affluent areas or because we have better access to things, that doesn't make our event better or worse than yours. Like it's all about the per person walking out the door at the end of the day going, holy cow, that was an incredible experience. And I feel valued right. and I feel heard and I feel inspired. And whatever it takes to do that, right? So yes. it's, in your means, in right. your means. Within your means, right. So I, I, we had one conversation where he he looked at every budget dollar and said, does this dollar help the idea get liftoff? Mm -hmm. Right, That's otherwise- That's a great way to frame Right, otherwise, I don't need it. And and my team now is, is learning that, <laughs> that they've got to couch things in, like this is going to help the experience in this way and here's how it's going to contribute. So they have to learn how to sell me uh, on that expense. It's not, oh, let's just do this because we've always, always done it that way. Or we, right. we saw it, we, they were on TEDx hub and they saw something really cool. And I said, let's do that. It's like, let's figure out how that yep. helps, helps the idea. What, 
in all of these TEDs that you've done, and I'm, I'm even going to layer in Oscars, Emmys, Super Bowl, and, and working on these big events, is there something that still surprises you to this day? I am always surprised that people show up. <laughs> it's, it's like why, when you throw a party. Why is that? <laughs> like when you throw a party and you're like, man, it starts at seven. I hope people come to my party. Um, every time, Mark, the doors open and people come in, I'm like, oh, cool, they showed up. Well, uh, well, hold it. You're you're on some. You you're doing shows that have. You don't have to worry about people showing up. And TEDx has got. I mean, I could see doing the first one, but seriously, you worry that people are going to show up. Yeah, you know, it's just it's it's a delighter when they do. It's just you're you're hoping and and wishing that you're creating something people want to come to, yes, right? Yeah, and you're hoping that all these hours and 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 blood and sweat and tears you put into creating just a a thoughtful experience yes. that they'll appreciate it the way you hope they do. So that that's kind of all wrapped up in that comment. Okay. Okay. No, I, I get that. It's, it's, um, we, there's so much intention around what we do, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I learned from TEDx Wellington and chatting with Hannah, um, that there was this position called the director of user experience. I hadn't thought about that and the intention of how she wanted people to feel around all the other things in addition to just the talk. And so we hired a a director of user experience for TEDx Santa Barbara, and it's her first year working with our crew and she's taking it very serious, which I'm very excited about. Right. And she's listening to this show right now. So she knows I'm going to, I won't name her, but she knows exactly <laughs> who she is, but she's taking it very serious in it. And we've said it's I, the user experience is the speaker experience, the attendee experience, the, the team experience. Like what's it like yep. working yep. with this crew, the partner experience? What's it like partnering with this organization and, and how do we build longevity and sustainability through all of those relationships? So we, we create an event where everybody knows our mission is ideas worth spreading and, and, and as some would say, ideas worth doing. Um, and that, you create, and again, to your point, it doesn't matter where or what level of expense you have. The quality of the ideas is, is really what we're judged on. Like, were those good ideas, yep. right? Was that the amount of time I spent that I can't get back were those great ideas? And my speech is over on that, but I'd, I'd love to know. Um, <laughs> so you were surprised that people show up. Tell me, um, in your experience, because you're—I mean—you're a true veteran. What is the thing that the first timer is likely to not be paying attention to? And after hearing this now, uh, they can't not know that they should pay attention to this. Name tags, what? totally name tags. What? Whatever okay. font okay. you have the person's first name in, increase yes. it by 50% because I guarantee it's not big enough. Um, and I, I say that only a little in jest because it's the details. The details are what are going to make or break your event. And and something as small as the name tag, literally as small, like I've seen name tags with the first name in like 18 point font. Right. Um, you know, stand by, you know, print out your first name badge, stand five feet away and look. Uh, And do that to every aspect of your event. You've got to design with intent. That means you have to start with a vision 
that every team, when they go to create their plan for how they're going to execute, whether it's, like I said, my communications team, talent relations, experience design or production, we create a vision as a team, a leadership team, and then they go off and they craft their their plan for how they're going to execute their vertical right, up right, to the vision. And then right. I give feedback and we tweak and then I let them go do what they came to do best, which is execute, right? right? And then I give guardrails and we meet once a week. But, you know, paying attention to every little detail, like what is the script when people come up to pick up their badges? What are you having people say? How are you welcoming to the venue? How are you creating experience at lunch? So it's hard and it's a lot of work to pay attention to those details and to map out in a journey map the user experience but that just means all that work ahead of time means that your event the day of will go off without a hitch. So you you just blew my mind with what I hadn't thought about. What is the script when people pick up their gift bag? Yeah. Yeah, like, I mean, that's that's the That's a right? level of detail. And you're, no, you're totally right. But you actually write that out for them. And then... Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what's your... I mean, we, um, got to the point by, we got to the point by year three, Mark where um, when people would check in, we'd have them check in and we count off one, two, three, four, five, six. And you would get a welcome ambassador, Wayfinder, who would then give you a short venue tour to show you where everything was and then drop you off in the main hall and then come back and get the next six. And so we had a very fluid staffing map that we always at lunches, at breaks and at welcome, um, we would swarm the areas where most people were so they would get a guided experience and always feel a very high touch event. Boy, I, I, our user experience person is, is she's like yelling at the phone right now. Yes, Mark, that's what we want to do. Uh, <laughs> I love, I love that guided experience uh, a lot. That is so, so name tags, cause we've actually talked about name tags on this show. Uh, I'm, I'm a big fan. Like the Ted name tags are, you know, they're as big as your head, right? And with the agenda on the back and, you know, they're really quite good and, you know, they don't flip and flop and there's all of that stuff um so i i love that that it's just and do you need a company name and all that i mean could it just say ken or mark i mean could it just have your first name like that or do you think it needs to have more i mean i'm just being a minimalist here i you know it depends right like uh my theme actually my theme always stayed the same my theme was the art of reinvention because it applies to everybody it applies to their stories and then um, every year it would say, I would just ask people, I would reinvent. And in the application, they would say, because we did a curated application process. Right. Um, and they would say, I would reinvent. And that's what would appear in their badge. Oh, nice. I love that. So I, I don't like titles. Uh, and I don't like organizations because I think it just creates a hierarchy. So we would just have first name, last name, and whatever they would reinvent. I love that. Okay. that, that That's where I was going because it was like, the, you're right, the title and the company that this we're not this isn't a chamber of commerce mixer right i'm not trying to yeah. sell you something i just well and you've got to remember for an internal event i also wanted a level of playing fields like even if vps and senior vps wanted to come to the event they had to go through the application process like everybody else and i hid names and titles when we went through to curate who we wanted to invite and so i wanted to level the playing field event that we're all equal doesn't mm, matter what organizations mm, you're mm, at doesn't mm. matter your title is what part of the org you're at we are all just here to share and create this day together what um i love this i'm still on the wayfinders one because we had our our meeting last (laughs) night and i i interviewed the green room manager for tedx mid-atlantic and they have 
wayfinders for every speaker. So they're waiting at the desk when someone registers and they're a speaker, they take and then they're kind of glued to them for the day. So this, this idea of having someone who is just kind of coaching you up is, is really powerful for me. Are you working on um, a TEDx right now? So you've, you've come back from the White House and um, you've had a few months to decompress. Is there a TEDx in your future? Yeah, so it's a good question. I've learned over the years, as much as I adore putting on my own TEDx because I get to execute my vision and my team's vision, what I really enjoy is I've gotten into the habit of I kind of swoop into somebody else's TEDx two days before the show. Um, I've spent the prior two weeks building the rundown. I take their agenda. I float into a rundown. I tell them where they're going to go over, where they have some room to breathe. Um, And so what I do now now is actually come in and direct. So I've directed TEDx Venice Beach. Uh, last December, I directed TEDx LA at the Dolby Theater, which is where the Oscars are held. I, I was there. So there was I was nice... there with uh, oh, Diamantis. So... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I so was you there. saw me come out at the end of the show when we yes. had a technical glitch. Yep. <laughs> um, but, you know, what's, what's a beautiful moment that Ted created on that day, Mark, was that when I worked on the Oscars in 2003, me and a bunch of the production assistants joked that the next time we were working in that theater, or the next time we were in that theater, it would be to accept our Oscar for Best Picture. And fast forward 13 years, I was back on that stage again, but instead of picking up an Oscar, I was there to direct a show. And love it. that was a really, really neat moment. I, I, I bet so, it yeah, I, 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 um, I, I don't know that I'll pick up a license again in the near future, but I really enjoy directing uh, shows and kind of going back to my theater roots. So if someone was listening to the show and they were thinking, gosh, I'd love to have Kara come and direct my show, they you might be open to such an email. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm also, um, uh, my buddies over at TEDx Mid Atlantic, Dave Troy and Nate Mook, they've had me come over and MC TEDx Mid Atlantic. Uh, I MC, uh, co MC with Dave, their main stage show a couple of years ago. And then they also brought me over to do a salon. So I really enjoy MCing as well. It's kind of a, coming in with a little less pressure and a little less right. time commitment, but still right. being able to contribute meaningfully right. to the event. What's the MC trick? What's your MC hack? Oh, I great story. Um, the first time I, I main staged with Dave, we had this delay where I think we were loading the musician on the stage and it was just taking longer than expected. So I, I pulled from my improv background and I asked if there was a yogi in the audience and I had them stand up and I had the whole house stand up. So everybody in the audience stand up and I led them in yoga for about three or four minutes. But it was nice, right? Because it was middle of the, middle of the sure. afternoon. Everyone had been sitting for a long time. Um, but it, it was just kind of fun to, to watch. I mean, what do they have there? 1,500, 2,000 people like, you know, um, doing yoga at a TEDx event unexpectedly and, and totally going with it. Oh, like, yeah, yeah, They yeah. were all so to it. Uh, so again, another one of those, you drop a little something and my audience is yelling at me. Tell me about your improv background because I am an improver and we had a a big sold out show on Saturday here in Santa Barbara. And I've just started taking second city classes in Los Angeles. And we're amongst all the other things we do, we're doing improv. So tell me about your improv. How did that start? Oh yeah. So I, um, I did theater all four years in college. I, I double majored in English and theater. So did a lot of improv. Um, and plus over the years doing a lot of public speaking, Yeah, you know, you have to think on your feet. So I, 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 you know, I'm a huge fan of yes. And, and, um, and, you know, play, you know, playing games like I am a tree and, and using improv yes. Yes. 
in corporate environments and settings and, yep. and things yep. I did at the White House to kind of yep. get people to loosen up and open up. Yep. I, I love doing one word story uh, in a table of people who don't know oh, you do improv. Well, let's do some now. Okay, great. Let's do one word story. And, uh, <laughs> and, and they all laugh and have fun. I said, you just did improv. There you go. That's, that's how it is. Yeah. So it's, yeah. it's about being present, which is, I think one of the skills uh, you need uh, to be a good TEDx organizer. And speaking of that, um, you, you know, I love talking about superpowers. And, uh, and I know you thought about this. What, what's your superpower of organizing, collaborating, producing, marketing, curating, or partnering? So I had, a, I had a story to share, and then I had reached out to some former teammates to ask what they thought my superpower was. So my, ah. I think my superpower is, is the directing aspect of thinking quickly on my feet. So the example there is the first TEDx San Diego in 2010 um, Jake Shimabukuro, who is a ukulele player from Hawaii, we know, we know Jake. gets up to close the day. And towards the end of his set, I go over to Jack, who's getting ready to go on stage to thank everybody and clap for Jake. And I, I just gently pull the clicker for the PowerPoint out of his hand. He looks at me and he's like, what are you doing? I need that to go on stage. And I just very calmly said, Jack, Jake is going to be done in about a minute and a half and you're going to clap. And if you clap with a clicker in your hand, you're going to advance the slides and we don't want that to happen. And to this day, he tells that story about like, this is why Kara is good as what she does, because she's thinking ahead and she's thinking quickly. So that, I think that's my superpower. I'll read you what my friends uh, texted me today, which was, uh, I would totally say my friend Erin Mose, who has been my experienced design manager from my first TEDx to my last TEDx, and she is just an A plus human and a good friend. She said, I would totally say that curation. Um, and then she said, I love how our friend Allie said matchmaker, because that's so right on, you know, how to pull the best parts of each speaker, crew member, and the event space itself, bringing everything together to create one of a kind moment where magic feels possible. Ooh, well, I like that. Put that on your website, right? Right, That is, (laughs) that is, that is very, you know, I, I, I love your strategy of, of asking someone else to say what it is um, that that's clever. So future guests who are listening to this show right now, um, take note of that. That's a very good idea. Do you have a next event coming up? Do you have one you're looking forward to? Oh, geez. Um, I'm actually not, I'm not lined up with any TEDx's right now. Um, I took a sabbatical post white house just to kind of chill out uh, and regroup and reflect. And then I just started a new gig about a month ago. Um, I'm on the founding UX team at a major tech company here in San Diego. And so building a UX team from scratch is taking up all my time and passion right now. So I think I'm just going to chill for a little bit. But um, I know that if I'm supposed to be involved again, that something will will appear. Will magically appear, right? I love I love that part. There how you it, go. How it, how it just magically <laughs> happens. Um, so uh, the the part of the show that I love, which is my time travel part, which is, so we're going to take that red carpet, and we're going to turn it into a magic carpet, and you and I are going to fly to some TEDx on the planet. Where are we going? Oh, so I did my homework on this one, because there's so <laughs> many good ones, right? We've got our friend Antonella at TEDx Madrid. We've got um, you know, the, the good team at TEDx Amsterdam, and I know TEDx Amsterdam comes up a lot, so I didn't want to make that my answer. Uh, so <laughs> I, I was thinking about it, and I'd want to go to uh, TEDx Rio de la Plata or TEDx Kyoto. Oh. Uh, and Kyoto was, 
wasn't the first in Tokyo, but it's been around for a while. Um, did you see Jake's performance at TEDx Japan or TEDx Tokyo? I mm -hmm. think it was. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's uh, J Jake is is awesome. He um, he works here. Um, does the sound production on his albums here in Santa Barbara? So he sneaks into oh. town, does does the post work here, and then slips out before we can find him. But uh, he's he's a dear 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 man. I want to now talk about the as we we come into the last few minutes. We've um, our, our listeners been super patient with us, and I like to talk about the best hack. And uh, you know, I, I I could probably pull a hack out of here, but I know because it's you've already proven yourself to have done your homework, so you've already thought about this. So without any more preamble, tell me what your best hack is. Yes. First of all, thank you, listeners, for being so awesome so far. I'm so glad you made it this far with us. Um, yeah, so I, I'm very big on designing with intent, and this goes to the hack as well. If you're the organizer, have someone else call your show so you can interact with your audience and put on or put out any sponsor or high-level fires that come up. And, and that's why I like directing shows. I get to take that particular duty and pressure off the organizer or executive producer and do what I do best, which is design and create a rundown and call a show that starts and ends on time and contributes to creating an awesome experience for attendees, speakers, and crew. So find that person who's not you and let them call your show so you can actually be present. So for our um, non-English as a primary language or non-entertainment background, call the show means yeah it means that you've got an agenda or you're using the rundown i created and don't you be the person that says start the show don't you be the person that you know tells speakers when to go on like you you actually shouldn't be tied up in those those nitty-gritty details like you should be walking around and enjoying the love that people are throwing your way so don't be the person who's tied to the backstage area and who feels the need to, you know, actually, I'll take that back a little. I do. I always make sure I, I have eye contact with the executive producer or organizer before I call the first cue um, for the show. And then, you know, I, I tell them to get out of here and let me do my job and go right. enjoy their show right. and enjoy their audience. I, um, I, I couldn't agree with you anymore. I've, I've had um, I have professionals do that bit of it. And uh, back to my uh, analogy of it being like a television studio, my favorite place to be is I'm a free, I free range, right? I'm, I'm just, I'm roving. I'm doing, I love doing that. I also like to, at some point during everyone's talk, I go up into the booth and I take my iPhone and oh, I'm looking over the director's shoulder at that big screen they have where they can see all the cameras and they see what's all that. And you can hear them saying, okay, camera one, camera two, camera three, uh, pan to the right. Now, okay, now fade in camera two. And that's calling the show. Like they're calling every one of the shots and it's going live. But I'm shooting just so I can see them. And then I pan up a little bit and I can see through the window to the stage and see the speaker. And so I get about a minute of that because it feels very... Uh, behind the scenes and you don't ever yeah. get to see that then i yep. text it to the speaker so they've got that as a little memento afterwards nice. and they love that and then for calling the show i'm glad you brought it up because there's like the traditional entertainment version and then the hacked version that i do is is i really kind of act as stage manager and director so 
I'm calling the the cues of like, you know, when to spend the spend the speaker out and when to do those things. And it's just it's a nice thing to be able to give, you know, the executive producer, the organizer, the ability to, as you said, just roam free. Right. You know, go right. to where you want to go, go to where you're needed. Um, right. And, and let the people who are who you brought on to do what they do best. Anything else you'd like to add? This has been fantastic. Oh, I have had such a good time. And, you know, I just I think, you know, the thing I want to add and the call to your listeners, especially the new ones, is remember to have fun. Yeah. This is supposed to be fun. Yeah. Um, if yeah. it's work, you know, reevaluate things, but make sure you're having fun. I love it. I, I want to leave it on that note. Kara, thank you so much. And I was it just I'm I, I'm glad we finally had this chance to talk. And uh, I invite you if you're not doing anything on Veterans Day, as any of our listeners, um, uh, Santa Barbara is having our event and uh, going to pay homage to our veterans. We've got some clever, fun things uh, planned. And uh, if you find yourself looking for something to do on that day, we'd love to have you come up and join us. Uh, if I'm free, I'll be there in a heartbeat, Mark. I Thanks for it. the invite. Okay, everybody. Thank you so much. And we'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Hacking the Red Circle. Have an idea for a guest for the show? Or would you like to tell us your TEDx story? Just drop me a note in an email to mark at hackingtheredcircle.com. Please be sure to rate, write, and review the show on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast. Makes a huge difference. And share the show with your team as we seek to grow our audience around the world. Until next time, this is Mark Sylvester, your host for Hacking the Red Circle.